0: We are in the book of Proverbs uh, this morning, and this is Labor Day weekend. Uh, tomorrow actually is Labor Day, and I don't know if you know much about Labor Day, but you know we've had that holiday for over a hundred years in our country. Uh, it was really created uh, as a way to honor the American worker. Is um, a way to give a day off to honor uh, the idea of just kind of the working class citizen um, here in America. And so a holiday that I didn't realize had been around as long as it had, around 1890s, I believe, uh, is when it came into, into existence. And we, are, we live in a country that it's kind of in our um, DNA to, um, to respect and honor work ethic Um, It's kind of just a part of our culture, and that's a good thing. And, you know, we should always affirm things in our our culture that are good, Uh, and we also have to call out things in our culture that are bad, so we need to make sure we affirm the things that are good, and and work ethic's a good thing. Uh, Many of you probably remember your first job. Um, maybe you loved it. Maybe you hated it. Uh, I grew up uh, with a, my, my family owned a supermarket. My granddad owned a supermarket in our small town, Malone's Supermarket. And uh, my dad, my childhood, my dad and my uncle, after my granddad retired, they ran that supermarket for a while. Uh, then my dad left and, my, and now it doesn't exist, you know. So I, over time, it, it, it they, they closed it down. But for me, growing up as a kid, that was just like just a fun place to hang out. So after school, you know, three o'clock, I, I went to school uh, when I was in elementary school, like across the street, middle school uh, was not far from there either. But but I would go basically hang out there when I was, you know, third, fourth grade. Uh, and to me at that time, work was play. Right, It was fun and so the high school guys could con me into putting out groceries uh, putting uh, putting the boxes on the shelf because I wanted to work the price gun or I wanted to learn how to sack groceries and things like that and so I, I probably helped a lot of people earn their minimum wage there uh, at the grocery store when I was you know eight, nine, ten years old. but it was it was just it was just fun. work was play. there was nothing work about it. who wouldn't want to do this all day is what I thought right um, And then the first job I can remember having that I actually made some money at as a kid was uh, there was a a hunting club that on the weekends they would uh, they would have target practice clay they would shoot what we call clay pigeons right and so I would go on uh, certain mornings uh, about once a month I would go down when I was probably I don't know fourth or fifth grade sixth grade seventh grade something like that junior higher probably and I would uh, I would have to sit down in this little shooting house at the bottom of a hill and there would be guys back up on the top of the hill, and somebody's sitting up in a chair, kind of like a lifeguard chair, and they would have a little button in their hand. And the guy over here would yell, pull, right? He had a shotgun in his hand. They'd push the button, and I had to make sure that these little clay pigeons, these little round clay cylinders were loaded correctly in the machine, and it would shoot those things out up into the air, and those guys would um, pull the trigger and hopefully shoot those things out of the air. Or maybe yeah, sometimes I would be the guy pushing the button, right? And so me and some of my buddies, that's what we would do. To earn an extra fifty dollars, thirty dollars here and there, and uh, that was a little more stressful, though, because I found out something: when people are paying you to do something, it's a little different than when it was when it was when it was for fun, when it was play. Because you would you'd be surprised um, how uh, somebody not being a good shot can be your fault um, if you didn't hit the button on time or you didn't load things in there quite right. So it's a little bit more stressful uh, when money was on the line. I found out, and so you probably found that out too in your life. And. If you've lived long enough, you've probably had a job that you've hated, and hopefully you've had a job or have a job that you love, but one thing is certain, work is a part of life. Whether you like it or don't like it, it just is, and our culture believes in work ethic, and that's a good thing that we should affirm, and what I want to point out this morning as we dive into Proverbs is, we're going to, is the Bible actually affirms good work ethic. You're, you're created in the image of God, and you're created to be a worker. In Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we, we learn from the very beginning when God made Adam and Eve, he created them to be productive, to do some stuff, right? He put Adam in the garden and told him to tend it, and he put Eve there with him and said, she's your helper. Not only that, he told them to subdue the earth, So Adam named the animals, tended the garden. There there were things to be done. There was work to be done. And all of this before sin ever entered the world. So part of who we are as image bearers of God are we're supposed to be these productive people stewarding God's creation. So work is from God, and it's a good thing. But we know that's not the whole story because in Genesis 3, the very first people, Adam and Eve, sinned against God, and brought all kinds of sin and destruction and brokenness into the world. And so now, as Genesis 3 tells us, work's not always easy. Many times work is difficult, we find out. Just like many things in life is difficult. And there's pain and there's suffering and there's broken systems and broken governments. And there's injustice and there's poverty. And there's all sorts of things that come into the world because sin has come into the world. And just like anything in life, as broken people, we, don't do, we, we, we tend to do things... We fall in the ditches on the right and ditches on the left. We overwork or we underwork or we idolize our work or we run from work. Uh, we don't always do things quite like we should. Just And that's in every area of life, whether it's marriage or sexuality or you name it. We're broken people, and broken people do sinful things. But in Genesis 3.15, God promised a Redeemer. God promised a Redeemer that he would send someone to defeat the work of Satan, someone who would redeem his people. And as we come to faith in Christ, the Messiah, as we put our faith and trust in Christ, we don't just get our sins forgiven, we do get our sins forgiven, but God begins to remake us and to renew us and to to make us into the people that he wants us to be. We call that process sanctification, it's the spiritual growth process. As we become more and more like Jesus, and what we're doing is we said several weeks ago we we looked at something called the three circles evangelism strategy and we talked about recovering and pursuing God's design when you come to faith in Christ, and that's what we do as Christians. We begin to try to recover and pursue God's design for our life and that's even in the area of work or the family or marriage or relationships and you name it. Well, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about work. Proverbs is a wisdom book that we've been looking at for several weeks in this series called Uncommon Sense because we're trying to, Proverbs is all about learning to try to live life wisely, how to make wise decisions the skill of godly living is what we've called wisdom. And so this idea that to live in such a way, even in the areas that are difficult to navigate, where you're like, I'm not sure that this is black and white, this might be gray. Well, you need wisdom to navigate that area, to know how to take God's truth, to understand the circumstances, to understand what's going on, and to be able to navigate that area with wisdom. We need and to have wisdom, we've learned, is to, it starts with that being rooted in right relationship with God and the fear of God. And so the book of Proverbs wants to help us to learn how to fear God, walk in the way of wisdom, and to avoid folly or foolishness. And to basically help us recover and pursue God's design for life, even in the area of work. Proverbs explicitly warns against one of the pitfalls that will rob us of being the good stewards and wise workers that God has created us to be. Laziness. Happy Labor Day right? (laughs) Happy Labor Day. Let's talk about laziness. Proverbs addresses what is known as a character called the sluggard throughout the book. He's one of the more well-known and comical characters in the book of Proverbs. Some translations call him the slacker, right? Another good word for it. Um, It's used multiple times throughout the book, this slacker, this sluggard, and it's really, throughout Proverbs, it's addressed with comedy at times and sarcasm. You've got to remember, Proverbs is written like a father telling his son how to live life and how to not live life. And the one thing he wants his son to not be, one of them, is foolish. And foolishness sometimes manifests itself in laziness. It's one of the things that are on the road and the path to folly. So today, we're going to see how the Bible describes this person, this sluggard, so that we can learn how to avoid it and have the wisdom to work, right? And so as we want to be productive and faithful stewards, as God's called us to be. Now, so I throw a topic like that out. Our tendency, our human nature is this. I wish so-and-so was here today. Or I'm sure glad my husband's here today <laughs> or my son or daughter's here today or, or whoever. And uh, it's funny, when you read this, in the moment the passage we read, you'll see the hardworking ant is personified as female, and many times it seems the sluggard is personified as male. I don't know why that is. I don't know. That's, I didn't get it. You know they didn't they didn't cover that in seminary. But we um, we're not gonna we're not gonna delve too deeply there. But but what we have to understand is this: because we have a sin nature, because you're fallen, and because I'm fallen, we all have a lazy bone. Every single one of us. And so this is not something that we can look at and say, well, that's something for them and not something for. Me, even if you're a hard worker, you can fall into this pit in one area or another in life. We all struggle. Any of these topics in Proverbs are for all of us. The wise person doesn't read Proverbs and think, oh, that's for them. That's for the sluggard out there. Oh, that's for the adulterer over there. Oh, that's for the one that runs their mouth over there. The wise person, all through Proverbs, is teachable and looks at it and kind of says, where is this at in my life? And can usually find somewhere to address so let's do that this morning. Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 6. I'm going to read verses 6 through 11. We're going to read a lot of Proverbs this morning. So just kind of have your Bible out and ready if you want to go there. We'll try to get it up on the screens for you as well. But Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food and harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So here in Proverbs 6, in the intro of the book, we said the first nine chapters are like intro material. The sluggard is introduced here for the first time, and he's expounded upon throughout the book. Continues to come back to him, sometimes with multiple verses. You know, Proverbs tends to be very verse here, verse here, verse here, addressing different topics. But two or three different times, he addresses the the sluggard with multiple verses. And what we learn is that laziness and, I don't even know if this is a word, sluggardliness is is a wisdom issue because work is a wisdom issue. And I want you to notice here, we're going to kind of use this passage to outline for us uh, many of the topics covered under this idea of the sluggard. I want you to see... Four things that we need to notice about this sluggard, this lazy person, this slacker. The first thing I want you to notice is the sluggard is uninspired. He points out the writer does. He says, "Listen, without having any chief officer or ruler, he tells the sluggard, the ant prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. The point is this: the ant doesn't need someone to stand over it and tell it what to do. She doesn't need to be watched and tended to and supervised all the time and prompted and prodded." And the insinuation is that the slugger does need this. He is uninspired to get things done. He can't lead himself. He is not a self-starter in any fashion. He's uninspired, and he lacks any self-discipline. Now, this is kind of common with children. I'm fine, <laughs> as a parent. Maybe it's just my kids. But you, with, my, with Cannon, he's four, right? And So I have to kind of, we, we don't just say, Cannon, clean your room. We have to say, "Can and clean your room," and then we have to go in the room, and then we have to go back in the room, and then sometimes we have to say, "This is what I mean by clean the room, right? This is what it looks like to pick something up and to put it away. This is where it needs to go." And and it's just kind of over and over and over because you're training the child, right, and the way he should go, hoping that he will not depart from it. <laughs> but it's supposed to be something people grow out of. Now, my four-year-old, every now and then, I'll actually hear these words come out of his mouth. We'll say, "You need to pick up your toys," and he'll oh, whine, and he'll say, "But I don't want to do hard work." And I'm like, this is, not, this is not hard work, right? <laughs> but that's, that's, that's a kid, and it's funny, and it's supposed to be something they grow out of. But you know in our country today that we're dealing with something that sociologists will call prolonged adolescence? You know, the teenage years, adolescence is typically supposed to be like 13 to 18. And they say now it's very normal to find people instilled in adolescence in terms of how they function in their 30s. 28, 29, 30, 31, 32. And they say there's times that you'll see a 31 or 32-year-old that's really no different than a 16-year-old or a 15-year-old in terms of behavior. It's supposed to be something we grow out of, but there are some people that are just 30-year-old teenagers. That's the slutter. Uninspired, no self-discipline, can't lead himself. And the he, he really, it's because there's not even any motivation in the extreme sense, to get out of that state. See, the ant doesn't need motivation from a ruler, um, doesn't need to be told what to do, but Proverbs 26, Proverbs 26, 14 and 15 says this about the motivation of the sluggard. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. What a picture. It's comical, right? And that's what he says. It's like he's got a bowl of food. He puts his hand in the dish. He grabs the chicken leg and he just goes, you know, but that's such a long way back to my mouth. (laughs) He says no motivation to do what needs to be done. He's lazy. It's a vivid picture of just an unmotivated person without any inspiration or self-discipline to get things done. Now, here's the thing. You say, well, maybe it's just because they don't have any desire. Well, uninspired and not having desire are not the same thing. The sluggard is full of desire. He does not lack for want. He lacks for discipline. He, has, he is full of desire, but not to work, just to possess, just to have. He has desire without drive." Proverbs 13:4. Proverbs 13:4 says, "The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied." Proverbs 21:25. Proverbs 21, 25 says, The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. So he has desire. He's not a person without want or desire or craving. He's a person without the inspiration, the initiative, the discipline to do what needs to be done, to have what he'd like to have. You ever met someone like that who's too lazy to put in the work to have the life they all, that they want? It's the guy with the desire for a wife, but without the drive to ask a girl out, Right? It's a man with a desire to retire early but without the discipline to save any money. It's the parent who desires godly children but has not the determination to share the Bible regularly with their children or do family devotions. It's the person who desires a job but has not the drive to get out of bed, send a resume, or make a phone call. That's the picture we're seeing here. It's not that they don't want things. And sometimes this leads to bitterness. The uninspired sluggard is wanting but not willing. And this many times leads to bitterness and regret. They look at the person that has what they view as a better life than them that paid the price to get the things they have and they've got a million reasons why that's not them and none of it has to do with the fact that they didn't do the things that need to be done. So we have to always be watching our lives and making sure that we're not going through life uninspired, undisciplined, without initiative. The sluggard is uninspired. Number two, the sluggard is unproductive. Where else is uninspired, undisciplined life going to go? He's unproductive. Verses 8 through 10, he says, The ant prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, the rest. You're just, you're just lying around. The ant's out getting busy, getting things done, and all you want to do is, is lie there. See, because the sluggard lacks inspiration and initiative and discipline, he ends up being unproductive. Whereas the ant is preparing and gathering, the sluggard is sitting and getting nothing done. Rest is his goal, not productivity. Where some people idolize work, which is also a sin, the sluggard idolizes escape from that and rest. He sits, he folds his hands. His goal in life is to really avoid doing much of anything. The sluggard, or Mr. Lazybones here, refuses to seize the day. He refuses to see the opportunity he has. I, I, I this week when I was, past week when I was studying, I had not thought about this, but one person pointed out how the sluggard is actually full of opportunity. He has a field, it tells us later on in Proverbs. We'll read that passage later. He has a field, but he doesn't tend it. We read just earlier, he has a bowl, but he refuses to eat from it. He has a bed to get out of, but refuses to get out of it. And notice the warning here in Proverbs 6. He's not poor yet right? I mean, he's got opportunity. He, he's got some resources without him, about him, but he's just being unproductive with what's been given to him. He refuses to seize the opportunity. Listen, everyone values productivity. It's not that the slugger doesn't value productivity. We all value productivity. Like if you have a smartphone in your hand, and most people do probably, um, an iPhone or an Android or whatever it is, and you like that phone and like what it does for you, that means you value productivity. That is a product of, of productivity, but that product required a process that involved a lot of work. Tons of jobs went into dreaming of and designing and building and mass producing, marketing and selling and customer service, all to put that product in your hand and make sure it works properly. That's the process of productivity. It's not that the slugger doesn't like products and that what productivity leads to. It's that he's not willing to do the process that leads to it. He only wants the benefit without the work. Now Proverbs shows us Three or four reasons here, habits, you might say, that feed the unproductiveness of this, of this person. Why he's so unproductive? He procrastinates. The ant prepares her bread in summer, gathers her food in harvest, but the sluggard lies there in bed. What's the insinuation? He's procrastinating. Why do today what I can do tomorrow? When I was a kid, I loved the um, cartoon Papa. Remember Papa? Popeye? Popeye the Sailor Man, right? Toot, toot. Remember, I used to love Papa. And he, Papa, whenever he was getting messed with, whenever, whenever he needed to, die, you know, take over and become big and strong, he needed all he needed was a can of spinach, right? And he would pop open that can of spinach, and man, it would shoot down into his into his uh, mouth, and all of a sudden his muscles would come out, and he would go about just you know inflicting all this damage on others, right, and, and and rescuing and saving the day. Now there was one character on Popeye that I've always remembered, and it was a guy by the name of Wimpy. Remember Wimpy? Wimpy was this real dopey guy. And he always, and he, would, his, he was known for one quote. I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Right? That was, that's what he always... Procrastination, right? He was like, if you'll give me this today, I'll gladly pay you for it later. He wanted to procrastinate the payment. The sluggard wants to procrastinate the work. Now, everybody procrastinates. Everybody does at some point or another. The point is we need to recognize that if we want to be productive, we can't keep delaying and putting off, and at some point... You gotta play ball. At some point, procrastination catches up with you. But the sluggard is not only a procrastinator, he's stubborn. Because he refuses to work. Proverbs 21, 25 says his hands refuse to labor. He's, he's just he's stubborn. He not only delays in the end, he never gets it done. That's how it works. Delay, 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 depart from even doing it altogether. How many times have you procrastinated and noticed something never really got done? Yeah, that's where procrastination leads. Some people just won't work. Now let me insert something here if you've never been on really difficult times, been in a hard place, encountered real hardship, suffering, or even injustice in the workplace, you may have a tendency, we may have a tendency to look at simply anyone that doesn't have a job or is on hard times or difficult times, and you might just think, well, maybe they're lazy. And that's not at all what Proverbs is trying to teach us to do here. It's simply not true. The text isn't about disabled people. The text isn't about those diligently seeking and yet unable to find gainful employment due to economic circumstances, broken systems, and things like that. It's addressing those that simply refuse to do things, despite the opportunity that lies before them. You have to kind of imagine sluggardliness and laziness kind of on a scale. There's the sense in which there's the sluggard. There's this kind of almost cartoon picture we look at. But then there's a scale that we can all fall on from one side or another. And you might be a 2 out of 10 or a 4 out of 10 or an 8 out of 10. But there's this scale in which we can all have lazy tendencies in various areas of our lives. But the Bible warns harshly against someone who is just unwilling to work. 2 Thessalonians 3 verses 10 through 12. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament said this to the Thessalonians. Even when we were with you, we would give you this command. Paul says, here's the command I gave you, Thessalonians. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. He didn't say anyone that can't work. He says anyone that's not willing to. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. In other words, he's warning against the person that's got plenty of time to run their mouth, but not enough time. To actually do something. It's not about their, it's about their willingness, not their ability. But the sluggard is not just, he's not unproductive because he just procrastinates and he's stubborn and not working. He also, he also makes excuses. He makes excuses. He's an excuse-ridden individual. Proverbs 26, Proverbs 26, verses 13 and 14. The sluggard says there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. What's he saying there? He's saying the sluggard's got a good excuse of why he doesn't get, he makes excuses, not a good excuse, of why he doesn't get out of bed and go to work. He says, he just says, well, there's a lion in the road, right? There's a lion in the streets, a comical picture of making a silly excuse for the why he won't get out and get something done. Oh, I would go there or be there, but the lion's in the road and I may get hurt. You know, I'm allergic to lions, My family has a long history of being eaten by lions at young ages. I can't risk it, right? There's always some silly excuse. When we don't get stuff done, have you ever noticed there's usually an excuse? Now, sometimes there's good excuses. They're they're called reasons. And sometimes we have to be on guard. Sometimes it's just an excuse for slacking. We may simply be acting like the sluggard. The sluggard's always got excuses, even comical excuses, even silly excuses. The whole dog ate my homework trick is what you see here when he says there's a lion in the road and a lion in the streets. That's why I'm not getting up and getting going. Now, in all this, all these things snowball. And that's the other reason he continues to be unproductive. It's It's a snowball effect. He makes things more and more difficult on himself. Proverbs 15 19 says, The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns. But the path of the upright is a level highway. His way, his path, is a hedge of thorns. and It's, it's difficult. It, it's painful. He's made things worse for himself by simply being lazy. It's not rocket science, but work that needs to be done doesn't just go away. Many times, though, we make make things harder on ourselves and make ourselves less productive simply by delaying. And, you know, if you procrastinate, you refuse to do something, you make excuses, it snowballs, and then when you try to get going, you'll find that your pathway is much like a hedge of thorns itself. Things get more difficult. It's a snowball effect. He's working against himself. And the other reason that it snowballs is laziness begets laziness. You give yourself over to it more and more is how it generally works. Proverbs 19.15. Proverbs 19.15 says, Slothfulness cast into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. You see the progression there? Slothfulness is cast into a deep sleep. He just rolls over, gets comfortable, stays there. The sluggard is uninspired, going through life without initiative or self-discipline. He's unproductive, procrastinating, making excuses, refusing to work and simply making things more and more difficult on himself. This is the path of folly, not of wisdom, and a path we need to depart from and avoid. And that brings us to our third thing about the sluggard that we need to take note of. The sluggard is self-destructive. In verses 10 and 11 of Proverbs 6, he says, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Proverbs 24 Says something similar. Proverbs 24 verses 30 through 34. He says, "I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man." So you repeat it. But this time he gives us a little parable, a little story of passing by that field of the sluggard. He's self-destructive. There's a way in which hard work and diligence and self-discipline protect you from some things. There are bad things that happen to everybody. But when we are lazy and idle and we make excuses and we refuse to do things that we know that we should do, we invite bad things into our life. Notice he is kind of caught off guard and... Poverty comes upon him like a robber, want like an armed man. It's like he's left himself unprotected. A hard worker or a, or, a la- or a lazy person could both, for instance, lose their job. But the lazy person is even more likely to lose their job because they've given the employer a reason for them to lose it. See what I'm saying? They, they invite self-destruction into their life. Bad things happen to everybody. Injustice happens to everybody. Everybody but we can actually invite certain things into our life. The text points out specifically self-destruction through financial ruin. The point is not that everyone who is poor is lazy. That's just false. That's simply not true. At the same time, laziness can lead to financial ruin. If you lack inspiration and are unproductive with your life, your time, your energy, you're setting yourself up for self-destruction. Particularly in the area of financial ruin. However, Proverbs is also clear that in general, laziness is a ruinous and destructive path. Proverbs eighteen nine: Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. It's like you're—he's saying you're out building sandcastles, and the person that sits there and watches you while and, and drinks their Coca-Cola while you build the sandcastle is the brother to the guy that comes by and kicks it down. One's just active, and one's passive. And there's a passive way to destroy, and an active way to destroy. Laziness will allow you to passively destroy your finances, your future, your family, your reputation, your relationships. It's a destructive path because it's the path of folly and not wisdom. But it doesn't just mess up our lives, it affects others. Proverbs 10.26. Proverbs 10.26 says, like, a, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, is the, so is the sluggard to those who send him. That's not a pleasant picture. If you've ever uh, been outside and around a fire uh, with a lot of smoke being produced, he says, like, smoke to the eyes or go take you a big swig of a glass of vinegar, he says, or vinegar to the teeth, that's what it's like to send the sluggard on mission for you. It's painful. It's annoying. It's difficult because he's irresponsible. He can't be counted on, and he drags down the team. It's like when you were in school. And the teacher would break you up and say, listen, we're going to get in groups of four, and you're going to do this project together. Last thing you wanted to be was like on a team of three sluggards, right? They're all saying, well, this is only 10% of the grade. Hey, we can do this next week. It's not due till like, you know, Friday, or next Friday, we'll wait and do it Thursday night at my house, 10 o'clock. What you say? Or, or they sit back and they let you do all the work, right? It's vinegar to the teeth. It's smoke to the eyes. The New England Patriots who won the Super Bowl last year, their head coach is a guy by the name of Bill Belichick. No matter what you think of NFL football or that particular team, he's won like five Super Bowls. And he is known really for one saying in terms of his coaching philosophy. And the football fans probably already know what I'm going to say. Three little words that he says all the time. Do your job, right? That's pretty much his philosophy. It's like you do your job and, and you do your job and we'll be okay, right? And the problem with the sluggard is he doesn't do his job and therefore everybody kind of suffers for it. It drags everything down. It slows everything down. But here's what's really dangerous. As destructive as he is, he tends to think that he's wise. Proverbs 26:16 says the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. He thinks because he's figured out how to navigate life without doing much, how to get by at work without doing his job, how to to avoid work at all costs, that somehow that, that makes him wise when really he's being foolish. To them, work is something to be avoided. So if they avoided it and you didn't, they're wise and you're not. And they don't even, so they don't see the ruin headed their way because he thinks he's wise. Now here's the good news. The good news is that in Proverbs is though whether you struggle with the lazy bone from time to time like anyone does or whether you are a straight-up sluggard this morning, wisdom calls out to us. Number four, the sluggard is invited to wisdom. The sluggard is invited to wisdom. At the very beginning of Proverbs 6.6, the first verse we read in the passage, he says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. There's opportunity. There's an opportunity to, to be wise and to depart folly. While it is unwise to give over to laziness, wisdom calls us to be diligent. That's what you see throughout Proverbs. That's kind of the opposite. <laughs> that the, while, the, while the foolish person is a, a sluggard, the wise person is diligent. Proverbs 10.4. Proverbs 10.4 says a slack hand causes poverty but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 13.4 the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. See the diligent is the person who is careful to tend to the task and persevere through finishing the task. That's like the ant preparing and harvesting. No need to be stood over. Gets to the work. Gets it done. That's the path of wisdom. Now Where do we find the ultimate example of wisdom? Well, that's Jesus. Jesus came to us wisdom from God, the very embodiment of God's wisdom. So he is the ultimate example also of diligence. If diligence is found along the wisdom path, then we can be sure that diligence is found in the life and example of Jesus. He wasn't a slacker. He didn't lack inspiration to do what he came to do. He didn't procrastinate. He didn't refuse to labor. He didn't make excuses. He came and did what he was sent to. To do John 9, 4, and 5. This is what Jesus says. John 9, 4, and 5. Jesus says this about him and his disciples. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Throughout Jesus' ministry, you get a picture of urgency to get done what he is called to do. You get a picture of the faithful worker. One of the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah is that he would be the servant of God. And Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give up my life a ransom for many. See, Jesus was sent by the Father, commissioned with the task, and that was chiefly to seek and save that which was lost. He came and he had to fulfill messianic prophecies. And we see him healing the blind and raising the dead. But we know he was ultimately sent to die in the place of sinners and to be raised to life again. And so what does Jesus do when he hangs on the cross? What does he cry out? It is finished. What's finished? The work. What he was told to do. He persevered. He he, he finished the task. For something to be finished, something had to be started. That means something needed to be done. And so Jesus faithfully carries out his task, goes to the cross, dies for you and I, raises to new life again, and offers us life in him. He is an incredible life in him. He's an incredible picture of faithfulness and diligence, but we have to be careful that we don't just look at him as an example. As we say over and over, Jesus is not merely an example. He's our Savior. We said at the beginning of the message that the world is broken. We sin. One person may idolize work. They may overwork. They idolize what it can bring. Approval, resources, freedom. So one may overwork. Or one may be lazy and avoid working altogether. The point is, we're all sinners, but the Christian worldview of work is this. I don't work to gain God's approval. Christ has done that for me. I don't work because it's my identity. Christ is my identity. But I do work because the Bible teaches me that work is a way to worship. It's worship. Because all of life is worship. When you get to the New Testament and you read Ephesians and Colossians and these gospel-rich books where Paul writes to Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians and all these people, and he says things like, man, here's what the gospel is, here's what's happened to you in Christ, here's who you are in Christ, and then he says, therefore live this way. He usually addresses work at some point, along with the home. In Colossians 3, Colossians 3, verses 22 through 24 says this, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Listen, if in my work I can serve the Lord Christ, no matter what I do, if I can work as for the Lord and not for men, that means if it can be done as unto the Lord, then it is worship. It is worship. We've we've got to get out of the habit of thinking of worship is what happens on Sunday morning at 1045. That's corporate worship. The rest of worship is what you do with your week throughout the week. Parenting your children is a form of worship if it's done as unto the Lord. And working your job is a form of worship if it's done as unto the Lord. Whether that's working out of the home or working in the home. No, My work, no matter what I do, is I serve my fellow man, provide for my family. All of this is to God's glory, pointing others to Him as I work productively with excellence and joy We're trying to reflect my Creator. That's the Christian worldview. It's worship. And so if it's a worship issue, it's a gospel issue. It's a gospel issue. A heart of worship flows from a heart changed by the gospel. And if I want to work as for the Lord, with diligence under God, God's glory, that means, here, here's the little phrase that I try to remember is this, I work from rest... For God's glory. I work from a position of rest. For God's glory. That's what the gospel teaches me. I'm resting in Christ's finished work. He said it's finished. So it's finished. My diligence is not my ticket to heaven. My career is not my identity. My effort is not for earning heaven. I'm resting in Jesus and Jesus alone. That enables me though. And frees me to work with a heart of worship. For God's glory as unto him. So I don't need to lack inspiration. Because no matter what I do. I can do it in the Lord. I work for the Lord. I want to be productive. Why? For the glory of God. See, the gospel changes everything. It changes our perspective. Tim Keller in his book, Center Church, says this. All our work matters to God. And he goes on to say, and God matters to all our work. All our work matters to God. No, no matter what you do, if it can be done as unto the Lord, right, then that means it matters to God, and that means God matters to our work. In other words, it can be done in a worshipful manner, and who we are in Christ should come to bear on what we do for a living, whether in the home or out of the home. Keller goes on to give four ways that the gospel should shape our work. Let me give them to you real quick. Number one, it changes our motivation for work. Why? Because we can do it as unto the Lord. So it changes the motivation. We work for God's glory. We work for Him, not as a people pleaser. Number two, it changes our conception of work. In other words, the very idea of what is work and isn't work. We see all work is valuable. Not just work that requires a doctorate, but whether you're digging a ditch on the side of the road or whether you're cutting open a heart to fix it, it's valuable in the eyes of God because it can be done as under the Lord and because it's a way of stewarding God's creation and contributing to your fellow man. We see it all as valuable because God sees it as valuable. Number three, It provides high ethics for Christians in the workplace. Because the Christian shouldn't just be concerned with what's legal, but what honors God. There are some things, by the way, that are legal that don't honor God. And so the Christian should be concerned about that. The gospel pushes us that way. And number four, it gives us the basis for reconceiving the very way in which our kind of work, whatever that may be, is done. In other words, it helps us to look at our whatever your field is, and go, okay, what's really most important? What, what in my field are we doing to help our fellow man as we steward God's creation? Are there, and you begin to spot the injustices in your field, the, the traps to where you can easily stray towards injustice or something that's wrong. And it also helps you spot idolatry and the way it raises itself up in your particular field. It helps you rethink the very way in which work is done so that it can be done in a way that glorifies God and betters your fellow man. If you work from a position of rest in Christ for God's glory, you will work, and at the same time, you won't idolize it. You won't idolize it. You won't idolize what it can give you. See, some of us this morning, the problem may not be laziness. That's nowhere near the problem. Some might be overwork and idolatry of work. Working your family to death. You know, the Bible teaches us that Christ is our Sabbath. That the Sabbath in the Old Testament was pointing us ahead to Jesus and it's fulfilled in Him. And it was a way of showing us that ultimately we're not going to strive in good works to please God. We rest in Christ and Christ alone. He is our Sabbath. But at the same time, from the beginning, from creation, God designed the world in such a way that He created it in six days and then He rested on the seventh day to provide a model for us. Because taking a day off and resting is a good way to remind yourself and God's way of designing you to remind yourself that you're not God. And that you need him. And that you need to rest. Some of us, listen, some of you, the most spiritual thing you can do today is go home and take a nap. There's a, the Bible's not against rest. It's not against the nap. It's not against sleeping. He gives his beloved sleep. He, he, that's not what he's addressing in Proverbs. He's addressing the idolatry of rest. And that's what we spent most of our time on this morning. But we have to be careful because in our culture we may struggle more at times with an idolatry of work. We work from rest. And so we need to remind ourselves of that by resting every week. Listen, today we can and should strive for excellence and diligence and faithfulness in all that we do. At home, at work, at church, because we're resting in what Christ has done and we do it from a position of freedom and under the glory of God. But maybe today you are still in that same position of brokenness. You're not being made new. You haven't been made new in Christ. You're not growing and maturing in Christ. You're still trapped in, the Bible would say, dead in your sin. You've never looked out, looked up to Christ in faith and to the one who cried, it is finished, and rested in what he's done. Maybe you're still filling your life with your own efforts to justify you before God. You're trying your best to be a good person and you're working and working and working and praying and trying to be moral but at the end of the day you've never rested in the finished work of Jesus knowing that he and he alone his death in your place, his resurrection and nothing else will save you from your sin. And if that's the case what you need to do today is rest in Christ. Come to him by faith. All who are weary and heavy laden Jesus invites to come and find rest. Place your faith in him. And as a believer today if the sin of laziness has crept into your life in any way or any area, physically or spiritually, at home or at work, or if you've overworked and idolatrized, idolized your work, we need to confess it to the Lord, repent, and ask His help to pursue the way of Christ and the way of wisdom. Maybe today, though you're in a difficult spot, you're having trouble finding a job, not because you're lazy, because it's just difficult times for you and difficult circumstances you're going through, You just need to spend some time this morning in prayer, and I want to pray for you as well that the Lord would provide for you as we know He can and only He can. Let's pray this morning.